Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. It's time once again for Reality Review Wednesday. Please subscribe so you can have this delivered right into your inbox, your iTunes, your whatever, uh, every single week. And we're going to be doing this three times a week. We should get in three podcasts this week. Starting up next week, the first week of the NFL regular season, we're going to go ahead and have three episodes, likely Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or possibly Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Not quite nailed down on that yet. But go ahead and subscribe uh, if you want to leave a five-star review. That would be absolutely awesome, and I really appreciate you guys who have written notes. It makes my heart feel really, really nice, and I appreciate all of you. If you have any suggestions for what reality sports show you want Sean and I to start in on next, please email me at seth at deceptivelyfast.com. That's the quickest way to get my attention regarding this podcast, seth at deceptivelyfast.com. I know that Amazon usually does a a series in season. I think the Cowboys might have something. Uh, I Just let me know. Whatever you're into, whatever you're interested in, we're going to check out that Last Chance You also. We might binge watch that and go through that episode by episode so you guys could watch along on Netflix if that's what you're into. But without further ado, Sean Pendergast. And hopefully by next week I'll have some little some music and then it'll fade into Sean. Sean Pendergast, uh, we're coming to the close of both very cavalry. We saw the season finale. But the, the one that I think most of our listeners actually give a damn about, Hard Knocks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like you and I are doing the very cavalry portion just for the two of us. I hope there's not a season two. Oh, oh did you see the end? They oh, leave they, a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, for no, they. She basically says season two is going to be so much fun. Yeah, she says that. I yeah. think that's the power of positive thinking in Do her you? mind. Yeah. I don't know. If, I, I guess the ratings were good. I have no idea. I mean, unless they're going to build it around Jay Cutler, I don't know that we're going to be doing a very Cavalieri pod again. I had an interesting conversation with our producer today, my the producer for my radio show, Chris Jones. Where Chris Jones said that he thinks this is a horrible hard knocks and he has a hard time even making it through each episode. Really? I feel like this is one of the best hard knocks. I feel like not only is this one of the best hard knocks, but I feel like some of the most vocal critics of hard knocks that I know really like this season so far. I wonder if Chris is a little bit just maybe he's angry that Michael Kendricks last night was <laughs> given a scouting report in sometimes brutal fashion of the Eagles and Chris Jones is an Eagles fan. Yeah. But it, it, I don't – Chris uh, – Michael Kendricks ends up today being indicted or at least he divulged that he's being indicted for uh, – is it racketeering? Insider, it insider trading. trading. Insider it's insider, insider trading. trading. Yeah, I have the statement in front of me. So last night, Michael Kendricks gets up, delivers his scouting report in front of the team. It was kind of interesting – 
But I also kind of wondered, why is Michael Kendricks all of a sudden being highlighted on this episode of Hard Knocks? And I wonder if this had anything to do with it. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine that the producers knew about this. This sounds like something we're all just finding out about right now, but it's been an ongoing investigation. Yeah, and for the producers to know, they would have had to make the decision several days ago. And uh, I, I suppose it was interesting enough to watch. It was just kind of strange. Yeah, I think it was just a happy accident, Seth, if you want to know the truth. And I and, and – We'll get to the insider trading part in just a second. I can't believe I'm saying that sentence on a podcast. For a football hours, player. 12 hours after the, the episode just ended um, about a football player being involved in insider trading. But that scene unto itself, Michael Kendricks, who was an Eagle last year, yeah. he won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. He got cut for salary cap reasons. He signs with the Browns. And we've always heard about this type of stuff going on, but we hear about it kind of tongue-in-cheek with Belichick, like signing guys who get waived by whoever they play in week one right. to basically sequester them and interrogate them. And he, people make it sound like he's hitting them in the face with a phone book. And, Tell me more about their offense. Um, but I, I'm assuming – have you sat in a, in a meeting room before where someone gets up in front of everybody and gives away all the trade secrets of the team they're about to play? Not where they get up and give a formal presentation. He was, like, giddy about right. doing it. That was what jumped out at me. That's what makes but, this whole insider trading thing today so hilarious because even before that came out today, my first thought in watching that last night is, like, wow, he is really anxious to give away everything about the <laughs> Eagles. You're right. He's up there with, like, a laser pointer. I think that now it happens. It just happens in a more informal fashion. Right. You're going to definitely tell guys, like, okay, this is how you rush this guy. This is what they're good at. Um, if you know any of the if you know any of the line calls or anything, yeah. totally, 100%, you're going to do that. And, l like, offensive line coaches – the smart ones at least know they got to change up some of their calls and use dummy calls and everything because the defensive linemen and the linebackers all know them. Um, and, and teams have gotten more adept at that. So the formal presentation part of it was different. I hadn't seen that before. But in terms of like the actual insider trading of giving up your former team, yeah, that's par for the course. That happens all the yeah, time. It just yeah. was To me, it was funny. I, I know that happens all the time. But the fact that last night as I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, he seems really happy to be giving up all this information. And then of like all things, 12 hours later, there's an investigation into him, insider trading, and he's apologizing for it. It happened four years ago, I guess. Says that he was led astray by a Harvard buddy of his. Yeah. Which or a buddy who went to which, Harvard. Which ironically, my daughter is driving back to Harvard today. Right, learning the ways. The, yeah. Apparently, that's what they do at Harvard. Uh, apparently. Uh, you, I, all you Harvard folk. I need to be careful now when she goes to ask me. if she, like, you know, A lot of times, like midway through the semester, Dad, I'm out of money. Can I have some money? Things like that. Is this now, have we gotten to the point now where Harvard has more notable convicts than presidents? Uh, that's a good question. Ted Kaczynski, yeah. uh, I, the, whichever guy led Mc, uh, Michael Kendricks astray. Yeah. It's, it's getting bad. They're it's, they're, up. they're catching up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, it, he basically just trusted a Harvard graduate who was an employee at Goldman Sachs, which I, I would do the same thing. I did wonder what people at Harvard think when they hear this. Like, yeah, the, the PR people at Harvard, that take, you take a hit, right? Whenever somebody from, or is it just, hey, all publicity is good publicity? Well, here's what I think. I think I think every school has its rapscallions. Yeah. And I think if any right-thinking person knows that, you don't put that on Harvard. If I'm, if I'm Harvard, I'm like, <laughs> God, these guys just blindly, they blindly, our kids are so smart. They just blindly trust us with their money. Blind allegiance. Blind, yeah, they, blind Yeah, faith. those people out there, the peasants out there will do whatever we say. I thought that that was an interesting scene um, just because Greg Williams has this, I think, uh, a balance between being the hard ass who really wants everybody to know he's the hard ass, but you do see little glimmers here and there of the human side of him, and it yeah. annoys me that I've seen a human side because I really – 
I really want to just look at him like some Disney movie villain that's all bad. Yeah, I didn't think it existed either, uh, Greg Williams. Um, and Todd Haley, I, I'm actually liking Todd Haley this year, yeah. too. Like, I didn't want to like Todd Haley. Either. To me, that was going into Hard Knocks, that to me was going to be one of the most fun angles was these are two of the, on the outside at least looking in, two of the least likable coordinators in the league. We'd seen Williams act on Hard Knocks once already. Haley may have been on it at one point as a coordinator. I don't even know if when the Chiefs were on it, if he was the head coach. I can't remember. But uh, but Haley, even with all his like stupid Carl Nassib stuff, like Haley seems like a, while he's a curmudgeon, and Jarvis Landry would probably disagree with what I'm saying, he that that rookie that rookie talent show I thought that showed that as long as these guys all have the ability to laugh at themselves, right. it humanizes them. A right. Little bit. Yeah, and that's kind of a. Something for coaches that they have to go through every year. If you're going to do a rookie show, you're yeah. probably going to get made fun of. We used to have just very few restrictions. And one thing that they might say is, hey, this coach gets pretty sensitive about his divorce. <laughs> um, or, hey, this coach, maybe don't mention anything about his hair yeah. or hair piece or something like that. So but got- other than that, it's pretty much uh, no holds barred. Yeah. I got... I got a lot of cred with the vets when I was a rookie because I went into Coughlin pretty hard. You did? Yeah, I did a Coughlin impression, and I made a joke about how Clyde Simmons actually sets the practice schedule wow. and all this other stuff. Wow. I, you know what I did was I did the Alec Baldwin speech from Malice where he says, you ask if I have a God complex, I am God, except that I did that in Tom Coughlin's voice. You did? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So what? how did he react to it? He was good. He's all red-faced like he gets. And well, he's he always just, red-faced. Yeah, and he, he gave me a hard time about it afterwards saying that, like, because I'd taken a couple of his speeches verbatim, so he was he he said, "So what are you you taking notes during my meeting? That's good." Yeah, no, he's, he's turning it on. Yeah, he's turning yeah. It around like it's a good thing. But did was he laughing while you were doing it? I think so. I looked up. I can't remember if I was afraid to look at him or not. Because that's the I, organic reaction. Yeah. However, he's reacting in the moment of seeing it. That's what his emotion is. You have to laugh. Because did you ever see the footage of the White House correspondent dinner where Obama went after Trump? And Trump, no. you know, Trump of all people probably doesn't have an awesome sense of humor about himself there. in that situation yeah. where he's getting made fun yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Trump had been going in on him on the birth certificate stuff forever. Yeah. So Obama gets up at the White House Correspondence Center, and I think this was after Obama had released his official birth certificate. But anyway, Obama goes into him, and you see Trump, and he's giving that laugh where you're like, yep, yeah, this is... What you do, you got to laugh when yeah, people are looking it. at you. Yeah, that's an apolitical take. I've been in the situation where I've been getting roasted, and usually you're going along with it. And somebody, then they hit a nerve, and you're like, yep, I got to I gotta really smile yeah, here. Dude, I, I'm not lying. Like, I – I don't know that I, I don't know where I am in the pecking order in the six ten family to where this is even a consideration. But every year when the roast comes, I'm thinking to myself like, please don't like please don't let it be me. Like I I don't I don't think I would handle a roast very well. Really? Yeah. I think you'd handle it pretty well until I you got to the one or two things. That's the thing. And I think the one or two the... things. But that's like when you're getting roasted, you've got to pitch a perfect game, don't yeah. you? I mean, you can't. You can't show like you. You can't internalize anything. You can't all of a sudden 
get sensitive yeah because then it gets really uncomfortable for everyone yeah, yeah once it gets a little too personal then it's I, I, I think i would make it through just fine i just like i you know i'm one of those people like i don't like hearing bad things about me it's <laughs> why like i turn my notifications on twitter off sometimes so the rookie show though was a pretty good one and i think they had the help of the hard knocks producers that's the only thing i can guess because yeah. they did satires of Ugh. jarvis landry's speech i will ask that when ken rogers comes on my on the triple threat on tuesday oh yeah dad. i'll ask do you guys do, do you guys when you Watch the rookie skits. Is that the first time you're hearing about any of this, or do they, any of them ever come to you right. asking about material? That's the first time I've ever seen anybody do that much heavily edited. And, and the the guys that did the rookies that did the Jarvis Landry speech were just awesome. That was incredible. I I thought ba- Baker Mayfield continues to be a gigantic green arrow up on Hard Knocks. I thought I I thought he was kind of a mashed potato in the first episode. Yeah, and that he was embracing the word buddy boy as much as he was. Because he was that's making we, fun of, right, he's of doing an impression of John Dorsey. Yes. He's chewing massive amounts of gum. <laughs> and saying buddy boy like every five words. It is good for him because you had pointed out, okay, is he as charismatic as maybe people thought? Yeah. It's really cool to see the guy who's untouchable, he's the number one overall pick, that he goes after the untouchable guy. Yeah. That he's doing John Dorsey because John Dorsey can't do a thing about it. Right. And – it's cool to see that because, like, he's kind of doing what no other rookie would really be in his right mind to do. He's the only one who could do it, right? Yeah. yeah now that I'm or maybe Antonio, it, wow, or I, maybe Antonio Callaway, who can seemingly get away with anything. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking back on it, maybe I really shouldn't have taken on Coughlin. I can't believe you fourth, gave me. What were you fourth round? <laughs> pick? I was a fourth round. <laughs> had some pick. balls. <laughs> I did. I did. I was. I had enough of a just like, ah, life is short. What are you gonna do? I like the guys in this room. I want to get their respect. I, I bet you got the respect of the other players, though. I did. Uh, I remember Tony Brackens congratulating me yeah. on raising the bar. Yeah. Uh, and I went after our defensive line coach too the kajust we got to talk yeah. about this kajust because i want to like kajust he seems like a good flaky kid i don't think he's got any chance in hell of making the team you don't i don't know i don't know enough about their tight end situation except that they love njoku who yeah. i love and it was fells number 88 who was teaching kajust all the blocking techniques which still amazes me that nfl players and i know more of them do it than don't help young guys who are coming after their jobs. Right. Like, Fells is trying to make the team as a tight end, and so is Kajust, and he's there like, what you want to do is you want to get low, and then, you know, he's teaching him the – Teaching him how to use his hips and his legs. Yeah, yeah, like to get some burst, you know, get into his blocks. So It shows uh, you, too, how amazing it is that these tight ends come up through college without – any emphasis on blocking at all. Kajus looks looks so out of sorts trying to learn how to actually use his legs when he's blocking Especially because he's a Stanford guy, which is a pro-style offense. Right, right. You know, where you think – although if I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and look um, because he – I think I said this on a previous Deceptively Fast is he tore up Notre Dame his last year there, which is my school, so I watched it. I. He may have been a big wide receiver at Stanford who they're okay. turning into a tight end now. So Kajus might have a shot at making this team. He I might may- be completely wrong. I almost just look at it because the way they're presenting him, he's so innocent about everything. He is, and he's so I, wide-eyed. I felt like at the end, though, they were kind of alluding to him as if he's – like as if they feel like he's got a decent chance of making the team. I don't know enough about their depth chart to know. They got into the real flaky side of him. I say flaky. Like, look, I'm into new age kind of, not the spiritual side of things, but meditation and all that myself. Yeah. But 
<laughs> when he looks up at the full moon, he says, "Hey, full moon, we can pull, oh, yeah. we can pull some energy from that." Yeah, and then he's, weird. and then he gets down on his knee and he's talking to Baker Mayfield and he says, "Hey, you're a leader, buddy. Yeah, people listen to you." It felt like a Stuart Smalley moment. <laughs> it did. And then it he did. goes to his box of crystals. The crystals were crazy. It's not like he's just got a crystal or two. He's got an assortment of crystals. He's like the drug dealer of crystals. No, he's got him in a cigar box. Did. He's explaining like what this kind of Kush is going to do for you. It's like going to a mixology class yeah you know like he's it's like you were the you know you go to a bartender you ask any bartender oh i live with a bartender um amy bartends you ask her if you listed 30 drinks she'd be able to tell you every ingredient that goes into all 30 of them that's what i felt like i was watching somebody who had the recipe for each of those crystals it was crazy i haven't gone in and like watched the second half of cleveland browns games to really watch devin kajus and see what he looks like maybe now i have to yeah so i don't want to i don't want to be surprised if he makes the team somebody you want to root for you never know he almost seems like the classic the producers talk to the coaches give me a guy that's on the bubble or really likable or has some personality and but maybe he doesn't have a chance to make anything. We need some heartache in this story. Okay, so based on hard knocks, who has a better chance of making the team? Just based on what you've seen on hard knocks, Devin Kajust or Nate Orchard? Oh, that's a really good question because they've shown Nate Orchard's kids and they're adorable and his wife seems really nice. And they've shown Nate Orchard failing a lot more than they've shown Kajust. They've showed him failing. They've almost set him up to be like, oh, he's definitely getting cut. Yeah. Where I wonder, I wonder if – and I don't know how much thought they put into all of this or how much they care. They just they follow yeah. the stories they follow. But I wonder if he's the surprise that you feel really good about because, man, he's got a young family he's got to take care of. A lot of kids. Yeah. In the very last scene, the preview for next week, they show Nate Orchard, like, holding up his infant with one hand, like, above his head. Yeah. I, I'm going to feel bad for Nate Orchard. I feel like if Devin Kajust gets cut – it's just going to be, you know, like, uh, I'm going to go camping in Colorado and get this out of my mind, and I'll keep, I'll work out in a field somewhere up there until I get the call. Yeah, and we don't know anything about Orchard. At least I haven't, I can't remember anything on the background of Orchard, like family background, but I feel like Kajust, like Kajust has a dad who was able to, like, on a moment's notice, fly to Cleveland just to be with his son. Yeah. So I feel like there's probably a decent chance that there's a little bit of, you know, not like maybe FU money in the Kajust family, but like if Kajust needs to sleep in his parents' basement for like a couple of months while he's working out back in New York. His dad, had, he does have those young kids though too. Were those does. Were those Kajust's little sisters I, I, in that first episode? Yeah, that were in the crowd at the game. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know who they were. They if never really made it clear. If they're Devin Kajust's dad's kids, I think Devin Kajust might have a little bit of the upbringing I did, which is he got a dad that's, uh, he's a man of the, He's a man of the universe. He's at about you know, like there's too much of him to be held down by one life. Uh, that's I had a similar father, so I've got like I've got sisters that are anywhere from at this point. I don't know. I'm like 20 years older than my youngest sister. Really? Yeah, from several different women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, he's I like, hear you. Yeah, there's too much of my dad to, for for one woman. You and Kajus need to do a podcast with each other. Yeah, I and feel like he would be a pretty easy get if he gets cut by the Browns. I feel like Kajus would be an easy interview and he's to get. Deceptively fast I as think, well. I think he needs somebody to look over. For him too. Yeah. I worry that he would be taken in by like a Michael Kendricks yeah. investment scam or no, something. No, totally. He's way too reliant on things like crystals. Like Carl Nassib's <laughs> going to sell him a mutual fund. <laughs> yes, Nassib setting 10% him up. 10% every single year. Nassib setting him up. How Carl Madoff Nassib. We, if we don't get Carl Nassib's take on the Michael Kendricks insider trading thing, mm-hmm. then Hard Knocks has failed. Has failed as a show. I can't stop thinking about the fact that Carl Nassib said 10% every single year. Every like year. I, I need him to understand that, no, 
if you're in the market for 50 years, you're going to have a couple bad years. Does that ever just understand that? He's and like, if, you, if you keep your money in there, you're fine right. if you don't touch it. No, he's like two for two so far. Right, yeah, exactly. He's done it twice. He's been nothing but like one of the most brilliant bull markets we've ever <laughs> right, had. Right, right. I just feel- don't. <laughs> I don't want to belabor this point too much. I know I've brought it up already, but no. I like I fear for Carl Nassib. No, he needs to talk to someone like over the age of thirty. Well, because they start talking about whether or not Carl Nassib's going to make the team, and I started thinking about Carl Nassib. Like, it's cool that you've set aside this money and you know it's going to multiply into something else. But really, sometimes when you're young and you're just fresh in the market, you really don't understand that it needs to be the money that you're not going to touch for the next thirty or forty yeah. years. That's the money that gets the ten percent over time. That's right. The the money that you might need five years from now as you're finishing your MBA or something, like you need to be sure that's in something safer than your aggressive stock fund. Amen. But I, yeah, but but you believe, man. You got so many people filling your head telling you about the stock yeah. market. Yeah. Antonio Callaway, my wife pointed this out. Okay. And, uh, and I'm glad she did. I wouldn't have caught on to it. At the beginning of the episode, you see him kind of getting some guff from Todd Haley because he's injured. And yeah. the Todd Haley calls him. He's a sports car because you get a little minor repair and you can't use it for two weeks. Let's recall, Antonio Callaway was the guy that they kept in for an entire game <laughs> yeah. because Hugh Jackson wanted to teach him a lesson, and now he's injured. Well, and it's also Todd Haley out there, like, knowing that the cameras are on probably, knowing he has a microphone on. And what was Todd Haley's point in episode one of Hard Knocks to Hugh Jackson? These guys need to practice. Yeah. We need to have them out here. So I feel like it's also one of those things where he's making – it's it's another way he can get out his point about players – resting and being coddled and being soft. Like, he's going to get that point out there every chance he gets because that's part of his platform. That's his he's thing is that, yeah, these guys need to be tougher. Yeah. Boy, the, there's so many guys trying to pass themselves off as so tough in this episode or this series. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I ever, ever remember this many guys. The Mike Smith Atlanta Falcons edition, their whole theme of camp was, like, be tougher, be grittier, be all this. And that felt a little weird because I know Mike Smith. I, Mike Smith's an awesome guy. Yeah. I like I just knew him from watching his defenses, and then I was in training camp with him for like two weeks. But he's not like a Greg Williams, you know. Like no. that's not his thing. So it always felt weird that they were they were trying so hard to push that with the Falcons. This though seems more like a bunch of individuals trying to set themselves out as the tough guy. Well, and Hugh Jackson with all the rhetoric about we, we got to be tough and trust me. He said trust me every episode so far at some point yeah. where he's explaining something to the team. And I don't know, just like the human nature in me, if I had some guy up there saying trust me who just gone 1-31, who was able to win one football game in a league where horrific teams win three or four football games a year, he's won one out of his last 32 I would have a hard time trusting that guy with anything that he's up there preaching. You yeah, know? and he starts off this episode controlling the music, and this is, again, we see all these fissures between Hugh Jackson and his coaches. Uh, Greg Williams criticized a player this week for uh, for tackling poorly. Uh, calls it a – what's he say? He calls him stupid, or he, he said to use some – I don't remember. It wasn't very nice. Yeah. Whatever. It was in play. It was Greg Williams. Yeah. And Hugh Jackson criticized Greg Williams publicly for using that language. But then Hugh Jackson picks that smooth jazz music yeah. that Miles Garrett wants. He, they put he, it in, and it is. Like, you're watching these guys work out to this music, and, and you want to fall asleep. Right. But then Bob Wiley, the offensive line coach – 
who is trying real hard to be more of a curmudgeon than he actually is. I refuse to believe that this guy actually gives a damn. He starts screaming about turning the music off. Like, dude, the head coach just put that music in. Yeah. The head coach is controlling and everything, and you're screaming to turn the music off. Uh, nobody's got any respect for Hugh Jackson. That's the impression I get. I don't yeah. know if it's true or not, yeah. but that's the impression I get. Yeah, I, and well, but he's so he's so soft and forgiving on everything. Yeah. The way they handle Antonio Callaway, the way he's coming up and being – have you seen him be really hard on anybody so far this season? Not even any – even when he's given tough love with Baker Mayfield, it's more of a suggestion. And then then a pat on the ass. Well, and then when Baker Mayfield finally – because I know what you're talking about. In the first episode, he's like, so what time do you come in every day? And this is Baker's first training camp, and Baker's basically explaining he's not a real morning person. And Hugh Jackson, like you just said, Seth, mildly suggests he should become one. And then when he finally does come in, you know, and now Baker Mayfield, his credit starts coming in at five or six in the morning, and there's Hugh Jackson's, he's he's celebrating like like you know like when a little kid puts a puzzle together, and you're like, yay, yay good job, Baker, yay, you made it in early. He's just, I don't know that, I don't know that it's the type of coach that you need for a team that just went one and thirty-one, and it's the guy who just went right. one and thirty-one. That's the hard thing, though, is there's an old saying. That like if you're the if you're the evil king or if you're the mean king yeah. that all of a sudden relaxes and becomes nice, then people will love you for yeah. it. If you're the pushover king that all of a sudden decides to become vicious or tough, yeah, they'll think you're insane. Yeah, and I don't know if Hugh Jackson doesn't come off as insane, but I think he knows the limits of exactly what he can try to demand out of these people. Bob Wiley also, uh, I'm starting to wonder if I should really look at him as an expert on history. Uh, he, Why, what did he say? Well, for one, he had his whole World War II analogy last uh, week, which didn't really all make a lot of sense. Yeah. And then uh, this episode, he claims that the body, human body hasn't changed in the last 200,000 years. I don't know if he was doing that for exaggeration, but that's that's patently false. I, I, I'd love to take him to a museum. I'd like to have him look at suits of armor from the, the 1600s. Uh, I, w- I would love to talk to Bob Wiley I just love that this. the guy with that body has any sort of opinion <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the human all body. The physiology that, that and everything. Me. That entertains me. The Baker Mayfield underwear ad that Hugh Jackson put up in That was front. a good rib, yeah. What do you think about Baker Mayfield and his being out there so much? Like, he's not afraid of ad campaigns, social media, all of that, compared to somebody like Peyton Manning or some of these other quarterbacks that didn't do any advertisements at all their rookie year. They, they went on and did a whole bunch more after that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a huge issue with it. Um you know, nowadays, especially rookie contracts, you know, the, the the guys, you know, Peyton Manning, high draft picks from before 2011, they were getting handed, you know, money at the time that was like veteran money. Like, right. you know, they were getting handed money like that Matt Ryan's Yeah, it was a now. franchise killer. Yeah, like, just... that's why there's a rookie wage kill because Sam yeah. Bradford got, got the same contract that, you know, I don't know who would have been back in 2010 when he got drafted, you know, whoever it was back then. But, yeah, no, and then Jamarcus, Favre, Rus- Jamarcus yeah. Russell Jamarcus is the Russell. guy that also just kills yeah. the franchise. So not to, And Baker Mayfield's making life-changing money. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He's guaranteed like 25 or $28 million, whatever it is. Um, but I don't have a huge problem with it uh, if, if they can handle it. I, Baker strikes me as a guy who's going to be able to handle it. He, he's, he handles everything good-naturedly that comes yeah. his way. He's a two-time walk-on. I think some of it, Seth, has to do with their background. I, I don't think it's a blanket thing where you can go, well – I don't think any of these rookies should be able to do that. I think certain guys are able to to compartmentalize and handle things. And if I'm looking at the background on a guy like Baker Mayfield, who was a walk-on twice, 
at one, at one school he's a walk-on. Then he has the confidence to go walk-on at Oklahoma, win the job, go win the Heisman. He's been successful at everything he's done since he touched the football at the collegiate level. I think I think he'll be fine. I you know doesn't take up a ton of yeah. time. I think if he sucks, that picture's going to come back to haunt him. But whatever, he's That's probably going to pay yeah, a few million he doesn't, bucks. He doesn't care anyway. No, no, he knows that. That hit that they showed on him in the preseason game was that was a really good depiction of how brutal it is playing quarterback. Yeah, I that was I felt that one, and it didn't look like one that. On the television, probably looked all that bad, but because they had sound on it and they were at field level, he just got hit kind of awkwardly in the leg. Yeah. It looked, that looked rough. It's such it's such Russian roulette, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right, that hit easily could have been the one that broke his femur yeah, or something. Yeah, or you know, he gets he takes a hit to the torso and it ruptures his spleen. Like you just yeah. even, even like in the Texans game last week when Deshaun had that play where he threw the interception. He took a shot yeah. from Indomik and Sue where he, he fell backwards. He you know he kind of landed on both his hands. You can break a wrist, you know, breaking your fall. There's just there's so I hate the preseason. Man. Yeah, I just, Tyrod Taylor had that awful awful looking injury, yeah, and then it, it turns well, out it was just a dislocated it, pinky. Yeah, like it looked the way he was running off the field, it looked like we were gonna have to amputate his hand. I know it looked what? like a fake hand. It looked like a Jamie Lannister. Hand. And the way he was screaming in the tent, yeah, that yeah. wasn't easy to hear either. Yeah, it was. I wish I didn't know that the injury was wasn't that severe. Like my wife was watching and she yeah. didn't know that it. No, she did know at that point that it hadn't been because she was watching the game. Yeah. When okay, when that Browns game was going on last week, I'm sitting in my car just checking in on Twitter, looking at things, and I look at Twitter, and basically in my mind, I assume that Tyrod Taylor is probably out for the year. Or oh, something. because I Twitter see people saying, "Oh my gosh, that was the worst hit I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, he's going to lose a hand." And then he's back in. I come back a half hour later, and my wife was like, "Oh, Tyrod's back in." Yeah. Like, no, what? What the hell are you talking about? They gave about? him a new hand. Yeah. <laughs> what other? Uh, you have any other notes from uh, this episode? Let me see what else I have on this episode. I think we hit most of what I had. It was it, there. I hope they're setting up for a big finale because this was this was the most kind of regular episode of all. And we got a glimpse of Josh Gordon at the beginning. Of yes, it. Josh Gordon and Miles Garrett yes. have the physiques that I'm most jealous of as a yeah. as an adult man looking at Miles. Miles Garrett is a freak, and this is a known thing. And Josh Gordon's a physiological freak right. too. But to see those guys just kind of—it's not like they—it's not like they've been dehydrating themselves for a photo shoot or anything. No, that's you how know, they look. They—they they weren't dieting all day yesterday. Like that's just how they wake up every morning. Well, and and. and- Garrett is one thing because we know that Garrett has been on the straight and narrow for his entire career. Right. Right? The guy's a maniac. He was the number one overall pick. Like Josh Gordon has probably put his body through hell and back a couple of times. And yet there he sits at his locker and he's just yoked. He's, you know, he's thumbing through his iPad there looking at the plays. I'm like, oh my God, this guy is a beast. Right. He probably has just been working out whatever he was doing, wherever he went during training camp. Yeah. I don't know. And then for a few weeks where the, the Browns trainers are a week or so of the Browns trainers. And that's what he steps out of uh, the, the apartment in the morning looking I, like. I wanted to see more of Josh Gordon. I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, but I, I know there's not much to show because yeah. he's just hanging around right now. He's not practicing. But and I'm not sure he's got all that electric personality. Maybe not. Have you ever seen that of him? I don't think. I, he's, I don't know uh, much about his personality. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know if there's a lot to, yeah, to show not. there other than him saying hi to people. Maybe not. Um, the other thing I had down, we hadn't talked. Jarvis Landry. They, you know, we talked a couple of episodes ago about how Todd Haley was kind of guilting Jarvis Landry into being a yes. mentor for Antonio Callaway. 
We had a scene of him mentoring Antonio Callaway at one point, so Jarvis Landry has obviously at least somewhat embraced that. But also getting a lot of crap from Halley for not running his routes out hard yep. during the preseason game. Yeah, big time. And I don't know what to make of that. If I'm Jarvis Landry, you're setting up this hole. Again, he's one of these guys that's trying to come off real tough and hard in this, and now he's getting lambasted as a guy that makes it look like – they made him look – like a lazy professional football player in that. In that, that scene. Yeah, and I yeah. don't know if that was fair. The one route, I, I watched it back a couple times. He had no chance. I, that's what I thought, and I thought by the time he looked back, he could see that the ball was going way out of bounds. And I just wonder, I wish I could have seen the other routes that Todd Haley was angry about better. And do you really want Jarvis Landry laying out for balls in the preseason? That are impossible to catch? Yeah, like, you. I mean, honestly, that's what you're looking to. You're looking to have him go full ribcage exposed, stretching, landing on the hard yeah. ground, stretching out for a ball in a 5 nothing game against the Eagles. And that's one thing that I would be careful about if I'm Todd Haley because – Sometimes coaches to set the tone and show that, you know, nobody's safe or that everybody's should be open to criticism, you'll tear into the guy that's the leader in the group, just like Belichick tears into Brady. But it's one thing to tear into a guy for performance. It's another to question a guy's effort. Yeah. Because that's almost like a character indictment more yeah. than anything else. And I get really uh, – it, it, unless Jarvis Landry genuinely was slacking on those routes, I'd be real careful about that. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's interesting. I, my other takeaway was just they're going to have a hell of a receiving core if Josh Gordon is right. Right. If, Holy smokes. Yeah. The, the if and, and if and Antonio Callaway is right. Right. I, I mean, they're they're going to their front three wide receivers are going to be Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, and Antonio Callaway. That's a pretty good front three receiving core. If you get the Josh Gordon, if you get Pro Bowl level Josh Gordon. Mm -hmm. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty sporty receiving core, and, and you add in Njoku as the tight end there, and yeah, Duke they, Johnson out of some, the backfield. They've got some. They've got Carlos some, Hyde. Yeah, they've got some speed. They've got some just raw athleticism. They've, and they've got and they've got old linemen they've invested in. Yeah, and that's where Jarvis Landry too can be really valuable if he has somebody that does have that genuine take-the-top-off-a-defense yeah. speed. I'm starting to talk myself into the Browns winning, talk, like, seven games. Yeah, that's what I did last year. What am I going to do again? With the Browns? I yeah, I just oh. – you know, I don't know if I talked him into – I talked him into a respectable season. Like, I thought four, five, six wins at least. That's a respectable losing – I remember who their quarterback even was. Oh, it was Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and Deshaun Kaiser, again, another guy that – is Hugh Jackson is Hugh Jackson all he's cracked up to be as he's like selling out the guy that they drafted knowing from their college right. his college coach that he wasn't ready for the NFL and then putting all that pressure on him and basically blaming him for his lack of success when you knew you knew what you were getting into with this guy. Yeah, I, I think like at some point the talent level trumps at least some of Hugh Jackson's ineptitude. Yeah. And I don't think it trumps it to the point where they're gonna compete for a playoff spot. But I just naming, just rattling off all those names on the offensive side of the ball, there's some good players. And Tyrod Taylor is a decent quarterback. The one thing he does is he protects the football really well. He could be in the vein of a, a Tim Tebow. Um, some of these guys that as long as you don't turn the ball over – you can help your team win. Yeah. If, if you have a good defense and you have a rushing attack, then sometimes just simply not turning the ball over 
is underrated. They got to the playoffs in Buffalo with that formula last year. Right. With Tyrod Taylor. So you can win. You can have respectability with Tyrod Taylor. It's always the question of like, okay, but is he going to limit you? Is he not going to take you over the top? Yeah, all I care is that they get over five and a half wins. So That'll be respectable uh, to me. uh, That's a respectable losing season and not getting blown out. It's a winning losing season. Right. Well, that's what they had last year. Well, I mean – you could argue that. They played a bunch of close games last yeah. year. I, I don't know. I'm just talking about needing the over. Very cavalier. I'm going to say this before I say anything else. I was completely wrong about how I thought I was going to feel about Kristen Cavallari. Yes. I came into this series very much thinking, okay, this is some Hollywood self-absorbed woman who married Jay Cutler because he's Jay Cutler. I like her. And I thought because of the shows she was on, I just kind of thought she was going to be that kind of a person. I really – I respect her. Yeah. And this is the delicate balancing act she pulls off. She's in a business where her career is like her. She is, she is the sole focus of her career, and she needs to be concerned about her brand. You know, her jewelry line is her brand. Her, her cooking book is her brand. All of those things, it's all about her. And yet, she never really comes off as unhealthily self-absorbed. Mm-mm. It feels very much like she's a she understands the business, and she knows she has to uh, publicize herself and everything, but it's not, like, wrapped up in her whole identity. No, I think she's pretty balanced, too. Yeah. I think she makes time for her family, and she makes time for her husband, and she makes time to do the extra stuff, like flying to New York for award shows and interviews and doing the interview circuit and publicizing. I think she's I – th- I find her to be really balanced mm-hmm. um, and to be very organized. I said dur- at the beginning of the season, I don't know that she's got a real great nose for talent yet for her business, and I stand by that. And I think that kind of came to the surface in this last episode where she had to lay into her staff. I felt very vindicated watching her give the what for to Shannon and to Brittany and all these others on her. The only one that's immune is Reagan because she's – She's a she's, dumb blonde she who sits she at the is. reception desk. You yeah. find out that she's overpaid for what she does. Right, which and she is probably, realizes it. Yeah, and she knows it. She's I think just, she's just around because she's probably fun to have around. She's yeah. a likable bimbo. Yeah. Like, she's fun and people like She's good for the corporate culture. And she makes everybody feel smarter. <laughs> yeah. I think that, too, you know. So well, she, sometimes you got to have somebody that can do the grunt work that knows that they're there for the grunt work. Yeah, so I, I, I still don't think she's got a great nose for surrounding herself with great people, but her, her business will – her business will thrive because of this show. She's learned that it's lesson. At least a tour well, stop when people go to Nashville. There's nothing worse than when people want to give you money and you're not taking it because you can't take the money because you yeah. have incompetent people. Like have you ever yeah. have you ever been have you ever been somewhere and you're like I just, I just want to buy this item. Yeah. Stop selling me. Yep. Like, just take my money. I want to take this. And, like, the business does everything it can to mess it up. This is what happens. We talked about this earlier, but it got even worse. Shannon, the social media person, has some hand in, in order fulfillment. Yeah. Which was an issue earlier with – we saw it when they were actually packing the things by hand. But now it turns into Shannon's responsible for social media and your, your e-commerce website right. to where – or people are unable to make orders uh, after from the email that was sent out. She that's what it was. She has a newsletter as part yeah. of her duty. She sends out a newsletter to whoever's on their mailing list, and there was to be a link in the newsletter where you click to buy what was like a new line of product. Like right. it was a big it's deal. A big deal. It was a big deal, and she didn't put the hyperlink in there. I guess where the logo was. And her excuse was, I didn't know what the link was. No, but her excuse was even better. Her explanation was, well, 
I was really, really drunk on tequila, and I set my alarm yeah. for 2 a.m. so I could get up and do this. If you're drunk on tequila at, what, 11 p.m.? Yeah. You thought that at 2 a.m. somehow you are going to pull it off? That she didn't fire – that Kristen Cavallari didn't fire somebody this season is a travesty. Like, she's not – she does not have a great staff. I have whatever. a feeling that Shannon's probably really good at social media and just – what you know. The person that's she's really good – 23. And, and the person that's really good at social media almost is a biological law – is not good at the administrative stuff, and you shouldn't have them in charge of the administrative yes. stuff. Um, I thought that Jay was really good at the party, at the launch party. I was yeah. impressed with Jay. I think Jay's shown in these last couple episodes that he's actually somewhat adept in social situations, even though you think he's going to be a complete mess. Yeah. But he he pressured Kristen into making a speech, even though she really didn't want to. But it was the right thing for him to do, to pressure her into giving the speech. And now I can't remember. Did she actually give the speech? She, she did. did. She got up and got she very did. emotional. Yeah, she thanked some people and things like that. I think Jay Cutler wants people to think that he's a certain way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's actually a pretty decent guy. It's a, It's disarming. If all of a sudden you see, oh wow, this guy's actually kind of charming and yeah. everything, and uh, I can have a conversation. He's a with very, him. he's a very good corporate kind of husband too. You know, you, they like CEOs and you know captains of industry and politicians. They you know they talk about having a good wife. Yeah. You know, she's a good wife for him because she presents herself well. She's you know she's socially adept. She can have conversations. She's easy to have around. She doesn't. She can. You know, be off doing her thing while he's off doing his thing. Just kind of flipping it gender-wise. I feel like Jay, surprisingly, is pretty decent at that stuff. I feel like he's very supportive of Kristen. Right. When the thing, when things are going poorly, he kind of he he needles her, but gives her pep talks. He, like you just said, Seth, he was good in that situation of the opening to her store. So, um, I was, were you surprised that she was as nervous as she was about giving a speech? A little bit, because yeah, she's a very. Uh, public and out there and uh, you know kind of a it's interesting saucy, though, outgoing kind of social figure well you and i both speak for a living yeah and but it is interesting that going from one audience or one environment to another how much of a difference it is like you, and how much how much all of a sudden you realize like oh wait i speak four hours a day but this is a completely different setting and it's a different set of challenges yeah i just thought i was surprised only because she's been in a lot of different situations like right. she does the red carpet at the at the uh, at the Oscars or the Emmys, whatever it is, she's been on reality TV. She's doing this show. She's probably done a ton of radio in her time. Yeah. So she's done all these different things. So I just figured she's been so good at all those other things, she'd be good at that. You you host. I heard you guys this morning, Mike, talking about uh, somebody MC. Oh, Mark Vandermeer was MCing the Texans luncheon yesterday. Right. And which is an easy MCing gig. Mark's awesome at MCing. He's but great. Like, as MCing gigs go. That's not a more receptive audience than a bunch of people who paid money to come watch a football coach talk. Right, you know? but I, I heard Mike say that he would be really nervous yeah. or he'd be a disaster or whatever Mike always says about himself self-deprecatingly in that situation. And my thought was, no, you wouldn't. You'd be fine, I think, even though it's very, very different. I think, too, I MC things sometimes, as do you. It is different when the live audience is sitting there looking at you yeah. versus us just sitting here with microphones talking. Right. Oh, it's a whole different dynamic. And yeah. I know, Rich Lord, your co-host, gets very nervous about public speaking. Yes. And I guess, what what's your least favorite version of public speaking? Because uh, you speak in front of crowds pretty comfortably, I, I do, I do. A, you know, emceeing, uh, mine, uh, okay, honestly, yeah. it's kids. 
Oh, yeah, like that's when tough. When you go to speak at junior high. Junior high. Yeah. Elementary school kids are awesome. You just yeah. got to talk about your cat for 10 minutes yeah, and they're, they're yeah, happy. Yeah, it, it sounds weird to say, but junior high kids, because I go to junior high sometimes. Like, I, you know, there's teachers in our audience or teachers that, that listen to the show. And yeah. They're like, oh, would you they, – they have a career day or whatever. I've gone into a ton of career days and spoken – and that's the hardest audience probably is because they're being forced to kind of listen to you. Maybe a, lot a third of, of them are interested in what you're saying. And teenagers have no filter when it comes to hiding their disgust with having to sit in a classroom. And a larger percentage of that crowd, too, is like has it in for you just yeah. because that's what they are. That's the thing. Like yeah, that's they're, a, they're, that they're rebelling they're, or they're this is an age. authority figure up here or this guy's lame. Yeah, or, you know. Emceeing at a luncheon or a charity dinner is, is not hard because people are paying to be there. And they're very polite. They too. are. You're kind of it's – a, it's a crowd of business people and whatnot that have to – They'd have to act with a certain degree of comport. They have to comport themselves regularly. I think, honestly, a lot of them would like to do what we do for a living as well, even though a lot of them probably make a lot more money than we do. Yeah. I think if, you know, if, if we're at a Texans thing or it's a charity event that's somehow tied to a sponsor of the station or whatever, just by accident, half the people there are going to know who we are, what we do. They're going to they're gonna be predisposed. Uh, predisposed to liking us mm-hmm. and laughing at us and things like that. What's Kids, your, uh, no chance. What's your public speaking tip for somebody? We'll leave our listeners with anybody that's uh, nervous about giving a speech. What's your tip for giving a speech? My, uh, You mean like just like physically or in yeah, terms of content? Yeah, just, just something for for people that are trying to be better public speakers. If there's a, Is there a lesson you've learned over the years? I would say try to have something funny at the beginning of it just because if they laugh at it, it, it this is just for me. Yeah. If I get a laugh at something, Early on in a speech, it completely eases me for yeah. the rest of the speech because it's laughing is a connection. And, and if, that, if you, okay, yeah, yeah, I would like if I have material in there, I would I would make sure I have something good at the beginning. If you're not funny by nature, I would say at the very least tell a story. Yeah, and that's one thing I wish I had known earlier on is just how much people love stories. A lot of times you're trying to make a good grand point or show everybody how smart you are yeah people just like stories yeah and if they're out of their office and they get to hear a story they're happy about that and stories can sometimes inherently be funny you don't right. have to be a funny person in terms of your delivery or uh, you probably should be good in your delivery if you're up there i would self-deprecation know. gets an easy huge last. anytime you make fun of yourself yes. because the audience most people are good people and they they want to if they can laugh at you as a way of making you feel better yeah. they're going to give you that laugh. I don't care if they're laughing at me or yeah. with me. I, as long as they're laughing it tells me they're entertained and they like being there. So I that's that's my the the biggest thing for me where I'm just I get in a groove up uh-huh. there emceeing or talking is when people laugh early on because then I, now I feel like I'm connected to the audience and they're, okay, they're vibing what I'm doing up here, that kind of thing. I like, uh, I love these TED Talks. If you ever watch the, not the version you guys did on the <laughs> right. show with I Ted like Johnson, too, where but... I, I like those, <laughs> but the uh, the TED Talks that you see online from uh, the technology, engineering, sure. and design, is that what it is? Yeah. But they give these 15 minute speeches. The ones that seemingly kill the most are the ones that are about science or some interesting topic. But where it's tied in with a story of some sorts. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how dry the scientist is up there. If you tell a story and then tie that into your information, yeah. that's what people grasp can make to. unentertaining stuff entertaining. All right, man. I appreciate it. I guess, I guess we're done with very cavalry. Yeah. Um, I, and I, we'll I, be done with hard knocks soon. We'll be done with hard knocks next week. What are we going to move after? Do are we, we want to do, wanna do um, 
Last Chance You? Let's do Last Chance You. Okay, let's we'll do it. We'll work our way through that. Okay. Then and, we've got uh, a couple weeks to do it. Yeah, and then so I know at least a few of our listeners now have watched Very Cavalry because, because and they didn't of us? want to, but because we were talking. Okay, well, that's good. We'll yeah, get our royalties. You're, you're welcome, E. E Network. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, buddy. All right. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.